Christian, hear this good news. You are today just as accepted and loved before God as you were the very first moment that you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of your good works that you've done since that moment and all of your failures have neither added nor subtracted from your acceptance before God. Why? Because God accepts and loves you based on the merits of Jesus and his finished work for you. Welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor Kern, and I'm here with my co-host, Pastor Daniel Ventura. And this past Sunday, we had the privilege to worship together as a church family, and we continued our series in Isaiah chapter 40, was what we touched on in the morning service. And in light of Reformation Sunday, Pastor Daniel, you brought us a message uh, regarding the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And so, Today in our episode, we'd like to talk about both and kind of connect them to the Reformation and see where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. Yes, brother, it's good to do this episode with you. And last Sunday, I believe you preached on Isaiah 40, uh, 1 through 11, a real beautiful chapter that's kind of a turning point in the book of Isaiah. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you preached on this past Sunday? Yeah. In Isaiah 39, just before that, Isaiah has been revealing basically doom and judgment that's going to come upon the people of Israel. They'll be exiled for a time and a period. And on that turning point, as you mentioned, in Isaiah 40, God gives us this word of great promise and hope, and he wants to comfort his people with the predictions of his future salvation that he would bring for them, which speaks about the salvation he would bring for Israel, drawing them out of their exile, but also it speaks of the ultimate salvation that God would work for us through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we find that God speaks to his people through his prophet Isaiah. Three things, a word of comfort, a word of conviction, and a word of compassion. And in brief, God wanted his people to rest in the declaration of the forgiveness of their sins, to rely on his word, and to receive his pastoral care through life. And in order to ensure that they heard that message, God sent out his prophet Isaiah and his disciples to be heralds or voices speaking to the very heart of his people, persuading them to receive this good news. And through this passage, we find the importance or the centrality of God's word. And we think about in Isaiah's day, we think about in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also in the early church, and again in the Protestant Reformation, that whenever God has revived and reformed his people, it has always happened when God's people return to the word of God. There's power in the word of God to revive, renew, and reform his people. And so that's what happened during the Protestant Reformation. That's what we want to see happen as well in our own life and ministry, and here in the city of Ontario, to see God revive and renew his people and create a movement. And that's gonna happen around the word of God going forth. It reminds me of what Martin Luther said as I quoted in the sermon. Luther said this, what is Luther? The teaching is not mine, nor was I crucified for anyone. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise I did nothing. And while I slept or drank beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Again, we see that emphasis in Isaiah 40 
on the word of God, doing that which God intends, uh, renewing and reforming his people. And when we go back to the word, we rediscover the good news of the gospel. And so we'll use that as a segue, Pastor Daniel, to your evening service. What was the main truth that Luther and the other reformers rediscovered in the 16th century as they returned to study God's word deeply? Yes, brother, as you mentioned, the word of God alone is what reveals to us our salvation. The Protestant reformers celebrated something that we celebrate, which was called the five solas. The first one that you're mentioning, sola scriptura, is how the word of God is our final authority for faith and for life. And that word declares to us the truth of how we are right with God. And we call this in theology justification. Uh, Justification means that we are declared righteous before God. And this is made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. And to give one answer to this question, how are we right with God? I want to point to the Heidelberg Catechism, something that I'm sure you, our listeners, are familiar with from question and answer 60. Um, This is what it says to the question, how are you right with God? The answer is only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart." And I love that question and answer because it highlights a number of things concerning our justification. Uh, First, it highlights the instrument of justification, which is faith. Uh, One of the other solas is sola fide, which is only by true faith alone are we right with God. It's not faith plus our faithful works, but faith alone that rests in Christ's perfect works that makes us right with God. Uh, We see in this question as well, sola gratia, which is by grace alone we are saved. The Catechism answer says again, without any merit of my own, but out of sheer grace. You know, grace is not only an undeserved gift that we receive from God, but it's also something that we have done everything to not receive. We have merited the very opposite of God's favor by our sin. We've merited God's justice. Mm. But God is rich in mercy and grace, and he gives us salvation as this gift of grace. And so we're saved by faith alone and by grace alone and this is in christ alone as we heard right in the in the catechism question that god grants and he credits to me the perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of christ god gifts to the sinner the works and merits of jesus and he not only looks upon us then as forgiven in his sight of all of our sins but he actually looks upon us as righteous for the sake of Christ. That is, as if we had been perfectly obedient to the law of God as Jesus was obedient to the law because his righteousness is given to us. And so this is part of the glorious truth that we celebrate as Christians and especially as Reformed Christians of how we are made right with God by faith alone, in Christ alone, and this is by God's grace alone. And of course, this leads to the glory of God alone, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. We have nothing to boast in because salvation is of the Lord. Praise be to God for his wondrous grace to us and the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. 
I want to go back to the middle of that Heidelberg Catechism question where it says there that God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Now, Pastor Daniel, what does it mean that God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ? Does that mean that God is working that into my heart so that I become righteous and uh, do good works and in that way earn favor before God? Or what does that mean there? Mm, It's a great question. Yeah, when we think about sanctification, we could think about God maybe infusing the righteousness of Christ in us, making us look more like Jesus. But that's not how God saves us. When we talk about justification, how we're right with God, it's not by him infusing grace into us, our righteousness. It's by him imputing the righteousness of Christ to our account. Uh, that's where that credit language comes from. In Romans chapter 4, especially, it comes out where Paul will use this word for credit multiple times throughout Romans 4 to show that Jesus' righteousness and holiness and merits, everything that he earned by his life is credited, gifted into our account, and our sin in exchange is actually given to him at the cross where he pays for that sin and takes it upon himself. Even though he committed none of those sins, they were credited to his account so that he could satisfy the legal demands of God's justice and in exchange give to us his perfect righteousness and holiness. And so God looks upon us, even though we're still inwardly still sinful and inclined to sin in different ways, he looks upon us as righteous. This was Luther's a famous declaration that we're simultaneously justified but still sinful uh, at the moment of our justification. Right. And so this act of justification of God in our favor is a legal declaration mm. that we have been forgiven. And not only that, but that he sees us and, and considers us as righteous, not based on anything inside of us or worked inside of us even by the holy spirit but based entirely upon the obedience that christ lived out through his ministry all the way into the cross mm. on the basis of that the basis of christ merits alone that we are justified that we are declared innocent and righteous before god and i love how yeah in the westminster shorter catechism it makes that distinction it says what is justification Justification is an act of God's free grace, is an act, a one-time action, right? An act of God, wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And then it asks, what is sanctification? And sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And so justification is a one-time act where God is declaring us righteous, whereas sanctification is this ongoing work of God's free grace where he's making us more and more into the image of Jesus. And are both of those things gifts from Jesus, Pastor Daniel? Yes, yeah, Jesus earned for us both justification and sanctification. He, by his grace, gives us both of those. Now, there's a priority that justification must come first. That was one of the errors of the Roman Catholic Church during the time of the Reformation. They said it's by our sanctification that we are ultimately justified in the end, where the Reformers um, looked to the scriptures, which saw that, no, 
our justification must come first. We must first know that we are right with God, at peace with God, before we are enabled to walk in good works and in holiness. They're inseparable, but justification must come first. Pastor Daniel, what are some passages in the New Testament or in the Bible itself wherein we find this doctrine explained for us? Yes, this past Sunday we looked at a couple of different passages. Um, One of them that connects the Old Testament with the New is Romans chapter 4. And there Paul is reflecting upon the relationship between faith and our works. And he points all the way back to Abraham, kind of the father of faith. And he shows us that even in Abraham's account, when he was following the Lord, leaving his homeland, following God to different places as a pilgrim. It wasn't ultimately his following after God that made him right with God, but it was actually his faith in God's promise. And this is what he writes in um, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And this is quoting from Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And there we see a very important difference, right? We all understand that You know, in the workplace, if you put in a certain number of hours for your work and your boss gives you a paycheck at the end, you don't say, oh, how gracious of you to do that. No, it's your due. You put in the work, you put in the effort, you should get the paycheck. It's what you deserve. But grace is different, right? Grace, again, is that undeserved gift of God. And so how was Abraham justified? Was it by his work or was it by faith in God's promise? And Paul says it was by faith that he trusted in God, and in so doing, he was counted as righteous in God's sight. I think it's so important here that the text does not say that Abraham was faithful to God, Hmm. and therefore God counted his faithfulness to him as righteous, which, you know, faithfulness kind of includes the idea of works or obedience in it, but rather Abraham believed God Hmm. and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's point is that it is by faith that that look to God and his promises by faith alone, that trust in God and his promises to us uh, in the person and work of Christ, that he considers us as righteous. How does that work, Pastor Daniel? How is it that faith is the way in which we are declared righteous. I remember being in a membership class all the way back at Christ URC Santee where Pastor Brown was teaching. And I remember him using faith as kind of the acronym for what it means. And he, he said there, you could look at it like this, forsaking all, I trust him. And I kind of like that, especially mm-hmm. with Abraham. At this point of his life, he's kind of at this crossroads of will he believe in God's promise to give him the land and give him a seed? And even in the face of circumstances that contradict God's promise, he pretty much says what I just said there, forsaking all, I trust him. He hopes in God's unfailing word. And in so doing, he was putting his hope and his faith in Jesus. And Jesus would say that later in John chapter eight, that Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he did. And so we have the same faith of Abraham when in this life, when we're confronted with our own sin, our own sinful nature, and even circumstances that don't always match up to God's promises and his word, 
Nevertheless, we say with Abraham and the saints of old, forsaking all, I trust him. I trust Christ. I trust him for salvation, and I trust him to be my provider for all things that I need. It reminds me of one of my favorite hymns, Rock of Ages by Augustus Toplady in 1776, where we find these words, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. So he's saying, "There's I've come to forsake all, including my own trust, my trust in my own obedience. I'm not trusting in my ability to fulfill God's demands. That even if I was entirely zealous, without any rest, even if I cried and wept and consistently mortified my flesh, that there would be no way for me to atone for all my sins, to cover the stain of my sinfulness. There's no way for me to acquit myself before the tribunal of the almighty, righteous, holy God. I deserve to be punished eternally. And therefore, God alone must save him alone. And the next stanza is nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. I think it captures well in poetic form what you were describing. Forsaking all, I trust him, faith. Amen. Yes, brother, and that's that's what Paul says as well in a different letter in Philippians chapter 3. He highlights a number of his credentials that might make him right with God, right, of the various things that might show him to be a faithful man. But he says this in Romans, or sorry, Philippians 3, verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I love that because the Apostle Paul, he's saying that I have more reason to boast than anybody else mm-hmm. when it comes to zeal, when it comes to uh, attempting to obey God's law perfectly. His life compared to everyone else was practically blameless. And yet he's still saying that record of uh, supposed righteousness that I had tried to attain as a Pharisee is rubbish. It's trash. I'm throwing that away for the sake of receiving what God is freely giving me through Jesus Christ by faith in him, the righteousness of God that comes by faith alone. Another passage is Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9, where we hear this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And here we find uh, an application, right? That as we consider the doctrine of justification, this should deeply humble us before God and before our fellow man, that our own salvation has nothing to do with us, anything good in us. Uh, Even our faith itself was granted and gifted to us 
by the Holy Spirit who worked faith into our hearts through the preaching of the gospel. Mm. And so all, as you mentioned earlier, the, the last sola, soli deo gloria, all glory is to God alone mm. in the work of salvation. And this should deeply humble us constantly. And it, it's one reason why we should always go back to consider this wonderful core doctrine of our faith. Pastor Daniel, why else is it so important to rightly understand justification by faith alone? Yeah, this doctrine strengthens us in our Christian life because it, it's what gives us the proper motivation for our obedience to God. Right? Think about this. Apart from this glorious truth, we would only seek to live for God either out of fear of God or fear of punishment or mm. out of self-love because we want to justify ourselves in our own existence. And we see a lot of people doing that today, even religious people who are going to church and going about the motions of religion out of fear. They don't want to go to hell or they don't want to be, you know, those who disobey their family or they do so out of self-love because it helps them simply feel better. But when we hear this declaration from God that we are loved and accepted on account of Jesus Christ, that's what motivates us to, to live for the Lord, not to attain his favor or retain his favor, but to live from his favor every single day as we live with thankfulness in our hearts and even with the help of the Holy Spirit to be resting in Christ and to be walking in God's ways. That's right. It's the wind in our sails, right? Mm. The gospel is good news that God has fully loved us and accepted us and justified us by the merits of Christ that we're fully loved and that sends us forth, um, not seeking to win God's favor or trying to earn uh, our status before him, but trusting that we already have it fully in Christ. And that allows us to go forward in freedom, in love. We love him because he first loved us. There's also comfort in that, which gets back to Isaiah chapter 40, the comfort, comfort my people that mm. your sins have been forgiven, your iniquity has been pardoned. And this doctrine of justification by faith alone reminds us that the ground of our Christian assurance our assurance that we are beloved of God, that we belong to him, is the finished work of Christ ultimately. And that gives us great comfort um, because when we look at our own selves and we see our own shortcomings, our failures, we recognize that there is no peace within us in that sense in looking at what we have done or what we are trying to do. But our peace comes from what Christ has already done for us mm. and that gospel is a declaration of a historical reality. This is something that has already been done in history. Mm -hmm. Jesus lived and completely fulfilled the entirety of God's law for us as our representative. And he died bearing the full weight of God's wrath that we deserved. That's all been accomplished. And he rose again from the dead to ensure that and guarantee that victory for us and that full pardon and justification. And so it's a great ground of assurance for the Christian, especially as we struggle with our own sinful flesh still. That's right. Yeah, I mean, the Reformation was really, I think, about that as well, just assurance and peace with God. And people were trying to find assurance and peace and so many different things in the Reformation time and still today. And I love how you mentioned from Isaiah as well, um, the gospel is something that God has done for us. It's not something that he's simply doing in us that saves us, right? It's what he's done for us. Hmm. And we are reminded of that in the word. And then God in the Lord's Supper confirms that, right? This is my body, which is broken for you, right? Hmm. My blood shed for you. 
those beautiful words for you again and again. We're reminded of in the gospel. And one of the other things that I think is applicable for our Christian life as well concerning this doctrine is that it reminds us of our identity this side of heaven. You know, in a world where people are seeking to create their own identity, are told that they are the ones who are ultimately to create themselves, which is a tremendous burden to bear. In this doctrine, we're reminded that our identity is something that we receive as a gift of God. And that's something very different, something I think that liberates us. Again, something that we could celebrate in the church and even hold out to our neighbors when we share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, that this declaration that we're wanting to hear deep down in our hearts that we are accepted and loved and known is something that God gives not by our striving, but as a gift of grace in Jesus Christ. And so I think that's another practical help in our Christian life day by day, as you mentioned earlier, even though our conscience every day accuses us that we fall so short, uh, we come back to this truth that we are accepted in the beloved, accepted in Christ. Now, Pastor Daniel, I've had this question, and maybe you can help our listeners. How much faith do we need in order to be justified? And how does that apply to children? That's a great question. You know, it's, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It is the object of our faith that saves us, which is Christ. And I think of 1 John 5, uh, verse 5, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And I believe that regardless of how strong or weak our faith may be, if it's true faith and looking to Christ, um, we have a Savior who is able to justify us. And ultimately, again, we're not saved by our grip on Jesus, but by his grip on us. Mm. And so I think even for a child, as they're growing up in the church, baptized in God's name, hearing of the promises of God, even children who say, yes, Jesus loves me, and they trust in the cross, they trust in the resurrection, they trust that Jesus alone can bring them all the way to heaven, even their childlike faith is able to make them right with God. Again, not because their faith is so strong or mature, but because they're resting in the only true object of saving faith that can justify us, which is Christ. Again, the ground of justification isn't our faith or our faithfulness. The ground of it is Christ and Christ alone. Well, that's a good word, brother. Maybe we'll close with another hymn, a favorite of mine, Not What My Hands Have Done by Horatius Bonar in 1864. Uh, which speaks so well to this topic. He says, Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. Mm. Well, it is our hope and prayer that as we continue to study and meditate on this great doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, that the Lord himself will indeed set our spirits free to love him and have that wind on our sails to obey him and to walk in the peace of Uh, our acceptance before God, which is based not on our own striving, but on what Christ has done, his love to us, not ours to him. Amen, brother. It's good to be able to do this podcast again with you. 
And we hope, dear listener, that you have a great week and will join us again next time.